Hey Who fans, welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And we're at episode 180. 180! <laughs> Have you ever thought what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. I've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow so the TARDIS should be free of the force field now. There's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish sometimes. The trouble with time travel is one never seems to find the time. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. I am the doctor. Great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. I'm the doctor. This is Rose Tyler. She's my plus one. Is that all right? That would be me. Hello. Surprise. Boom. Etc. I'm the doctor. Do everything I tell you. Don't ask stupid questions. And don't wander off. How can you kid this? I don't like the colour. Howdy, howdy, do who fans? Hope you've all had a cracking couple of weeks. Yeah, and that you've all managed to do something, something Doctor Who, who related. related. Yay! There we go. See, two weeks we've still got it. We've still got it. It never went away. <laughs> we haven't gone anywhere. We've just sat at our tables getting covered in cobwebs for the last two weeks. Pretty much. A bit dusty yeah. in here. Dusted yeah. ourselves off. Indeed. Yeah. yeah, so apologies for last week. Who fans? It's completely, well, not my fault, but it's down to me that we didn't record the uh, having some gas works going on in the street where I live. And uh, the the dudes are out there literally feet away from the house, uh, digging up the pavement and doing whatever they were they were doing. So it would have been a nightmare because it was like all day. Because we normally record on a Wednesday and they started very early Wednesday morning and the guy knocked at the door and said, yeah, you're going to be without gas, possibly electric for a couple of days. <laughs> I was like, no, no thanks. He's like, well, you... We can sort the electric out if you need it. I said, well, I do need it because I work from home. So that's... <laughs> would be nice. That would be nice. He said, but you'll be without gas. I said, I can handle that. But um, And it was just the noise more than anything. It was just horrendous. So it would have been like I was recording, like sat on a building site somewhere. <laughs> it would yeah. have driven me mad, actually. I hate stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you sent me a photo as well. And you're not... Uh, Gary's not exaggerating when he says they were right outside the door. They were, looked like the van was backed up to your front door. I yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. literally right on top of you weren't they terrible it was a nightmare yeah, yeah. yeah the noise would have done my head in literally yeah. yeah so it wouldn't have been a good environment to record mm. you know it wouldn't you wouldn't have uh, listened to our normal very high produced <laughs> great sounding audio it would have been atrocious so to be fair, like I guess it takes a lot to stop us, doesn't it? I know we've said oh, this yes. before. We have, yeah. you know, we have <laughs> recorded in all sorts of situations over the over the years. Um, mm-hmm. So it does take a lot to to put um, to put the podcast off. So yeah, it does indeed. Yeah. yeah, but we are back. Yes, we are. And we're episode one hundred and eighty. Crikey! Listen to Tony. Listen to one hundred and eighty. So in March, twenty fourteen. We started a uh, little old podcast. March. March of 2014. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's four years. My goodness. This month. Yeah. 
That is quite incredible. It is, isn't it? That it is feel that, is. that long. No, I, I was just thinking it doesn't feel that long. I can still remember getting the tweet, the you know, the message, private message in Twitter, um, saying, "Yeah, so I've been thinking, mate. Would you fancy <laughs> coming on full time?" and and uh, me saying to my other half, oh, yeah, should I do this? And, oh, you know, it sounds quite exciting. And I quite enjoyed the one-off I did. <laughs> yeah, that's four years ago. Blimey. Almost, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, jumping the gun a little bit because, uh, yeah, episode one went out on the 31st of March, 2014. Right. But this month it's been four years, bloody hell. Gosh. Yeah, goes quick, doesn't it? He does, doesn't it? Even in a time machine, it goes quick. Even in the TARDIS time. Yeah. yeah. So coming up in today's show, we have a bunch of news, as usual. Then we've got some merch uh, to talk through. And then we're on to our review. Sontaha. 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 Yes. <laughs> I haven't seen that one very often. Me either. In fact, I, I have a feeling that it's only the second time I've watched it. I think I only watched it when it went out, and mm. uh, I may have watched it in between, but I certainly don't remember. Yeah, seen it a few times over the years, but it doesn't stay in my memory, if that makes sense to anyone. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. But anyway, you've been up so much, buddy, in our little mini break? Um, not a great deal, but I did get the... Do you remember a while back we were talking about the you know these real-time... DVDs that come out, the sort of unofficial releases that connect oh, yeah. to Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, and they, they were released a new one called The Doctors, The Monsters. Oh, yeah. Um, which yeah. basically features interviews with um, the people that wore the rubber suits and stuff like that. Mm. Well, that turned up um, recently, and I, I was giving that a watch while we were off air. Um, and it's actually pretty decent because I, I like these releases because, A, they're cheap. You can normally get them for around a tenner. Um, and they're normally two disc sets. So, you, you know, they're, they're good value. And what they are is they're sort of interviews from the archives that Real Time Pictures filmed and they've sort of, you know, remastered them the best they can and put them on DVD. So, yeah, I, I've been watching a bit of that. And uh, this one, I remember we were sort of getting excited about because the first sort of uh, documentary on this um, hosted by Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> and uh, obviously we both love McCoy. And it's really good. It's just him basically um, talking through and he's at Riverside studios and you know, they've, they've sort of reenacted a few scenes from early doctor who in the, in the actual studio stuff. And it's really cool. But the one that I really like, so it's got interviews like Ray Kuzak, who was the Dalek designer, um, Michael Wisher, who obviously was Davros in Jess's dad, Jess's Daleks, David Banks, uh, the cyber leader. Um, and the good thing about that one is they filmed it when he was starring in the ultimate adventure. So they go behind the scenes of the stage play and that's quite rare to see because you don't, I don't think I've ever seen much behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. of um, the ultimate adventure. So, so that's really cool. But the Ray Kuzak thing really interested me because I always feel really sorry for Ray because Terry nation obviously, you know, invented the Daleks and made loads of money from the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Whereas poor Ray Kuzak, who actually designed the look of the thing, kind of, um, you know, because he was just a sort of BBC employee, just got paid a normal wage. And he does say on the interview, you know, he said, oh, I think think I ought to get a bit more. And they gave him £100, and that was all <laughs> he ever got as a bonus for designing him. And um, and I think, he, I don't think he says it in this interview, but he has said it before that Terry Nation sort of said, uh, yeah, don't worry, Ray, we're going to make millions. <laughs> he says i never saw him again <laughs> you know so i always feel a bit oh. sorry for ray because i think part of the daleks appeal is obviously the look of them 
and he was yes. responsible, yeah. you know, for a big part of that. So um, it's really interesting to talk about that. He he is obviously quite, uh, you know, he's quite bitter about it, um, but I think with good reason. But the thing is with Ray is that he's a very candid man. He he doesn't. He's very to the point and very honest. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, Nick's saying, you know, he's like sort of behind the camera. He was trying to sort of be animated and smile and you know get get Ray to smile. Um, but it's a great interview and he gets out some of his early designs for the Daleks and stuff as well. So yeah. So yeah, that's all I've been doing really is, is watching that. And, um, if anyone's sort of seen that DVD and thought about getting it, I, you know, it's really worth it. I'm, I'm really enjoying going through it. As I said, if you sort of like the early doctor who stuff, it's, it's quite interesting to hear from these people that you don't normally see interviewed. I mean, Michael Wisher sadly passed away many years ago. So it's great to hear him talking about, you know, Davros and how he was going to play it and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. They're all kind of characters in their own right, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's what I've been doing, mate, just watching that. And, uh, yeah, not really much else, I don't think. What about you? Yeah, not too much, mate. Um, I've watched a, a few classics. Um, Have you? Yeah, just a, a, when, it, when I'm in the mood for Tom. Oh, yes. You know when you're in the mood for Tom. Yeah, all, like, the, all the time at the minute, yeah. Yeah, it's like, Tom, I need you. Tom, can you do it in the voice? Tom, Tom, no. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm in the I'm in the mood for you. What are you saying? Um, for some reason, my finger always scans the shelf, and it always seems to rest on rest on the same few. So I, I dug out the brain of Morbius. Oh, great! Yeah, I love that story. It is brilliant, isn't it? Philip Maddox so good in that. We've reviewed it as well, haven't we? So yeah. I don't need to. We can speak don't need free. to guard Michael. Yeah, we can speak freely. Yeah, yeah, yeah so good. That's when Tom's in the in, well, the Doctor, I should say, is in a bad mood at the start, isn't he? And Sarah's just having none of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got the mutt crawling across the set and all that. Oh, that's made me want to watch it now. I've I've seen it loads, but I never I never get bored of that one. Yeah, never tired of that one. Yeah, I also, think that's classic Hinchcliffe. You know, we were talking yes. about Philip Hinchcliffe earlier. Classic yeah. Hinchcliffe, yeah. Classic. Uh, also stuck on Inferno. Oh. Yeah. Now, we haven't reviewed that. Careful. Careful Or now. have we? No, we or haven't. Have we? No, we haven't. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure we haven't. No, I don't think we have, actually, no. Let me check. It's funny. No, we haven't, no. No, it's funny because our good friend uh, Joe Sweeney, who listens to the podcast, was asking... Um, He's, he was saying, why haven't they started with Pertwee uh, with the Blu-ray? You know, they're going to reissue oh, Tom's yeah. first series on Blu-ray. Uh, he was saying, why haven't they started with Pertwee? And I said, because I think a lot of the Pertwee era, the, you know, the, the sources, because they were all junked, a lot of his episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Pertwee, you know, episodes are from bad sources and they've remastered them the best they can, but they still don't look particularly great. And um, I always think, you know, I'm trying to not say too much about Inferno because I haven't reviewed it, but the picture quality in some of the episodes, like the red is really bleeding through mm-hmm. the color red yeah. on the ca- on the camera and the bit when it goes outside, which normally outside recording looks good, even if the studio stuff looks a bit fuzzy. But yeah, I remember thinking all the scenes of him, you know, the werewolf guy climbing the tower and stuff yeah. that still look really fuzzy, and even though they've tried their best to remaster it. So I think they're going to have a hard time when they finally come around to remaster with stuff probably harder than the black and white stuff actually to be honest with you but yes i agree yeah that wasn't a danger that that i felt when they announced the the blu-ray for Mm. series 12 because i thought are we just going to have sort of odd sort of littered series around you know because 
like you say, it's very difficult to remaster yeah. poor source material. So maybe they just live with that. Maybe they just, yeah, the majority of it looks okay. We'll live with the other ones that don't look that good. But, you know, are we going to have Series 12 as a special edition and then Series 19 and then Series, you know, 25? Are we just going to have these odd... Oh, rant- that would do. that would do my... OCD yeah. in no end. I'll tell you what I don't like is that in the in the on the US release of the Fourth Doctor Blu-ray, they're calling it the Fourth Doctor's first season. Yes. Instead of season twelve. Yeah. Well, I don't like that. That's that's stupid because then <laughs> are you gonna say the first doctor's I don't know, it just it doesn't sound right. How does that work? I don't know. Yeah, it's season twelve. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. It's, um, I don't get that at all. It, it'll be an interesting experiment, this whole Blu-ray thing of the classic years. Mm. Yeah. It, I don't know. I won't like See, I would hate <laughs> that because I just have lots of series, season one, season two, season three, season one, season two. No, no, I just want season one to, you know, tw- 27, whatever. I don't want lots of, of season yeah. ones. It, it doesn't make sense to me at all. But anyway. Yeah. Maybe it's easier for... for newcomers maybe to um to uh look at each doctor as a block rather yeah. than you know the entire classic era maybe it's easier for you know trying to onboard newer people to classic who that you know look at it as a per doctor you know we're not don't expect you to go out and grab the entire classic years maybe the just Paul, yeah the Paul McGann season one <laughs> i mean uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. The Scream of the Shelka, season one. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to wonder where they're going with that. Like, it makes me think about future releases because that would imply there'd be a season two. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, not much else, mate. Um, I did get a really cool little package in the post. Yes, the other you day. did. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Yes. And I'm really gutted in one way. Why? Because you haven't got yours yet. No, I haven't got mine. No, I haven't even got a dispatch email. No, it's it's funny actually. I should be I should be annoyed, but I'm surprisingly not. I mean, I think it just looks beautiful. I I can't wait for it to arrive. You should tell people what we're talking about. Yeah, I suppose so. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So a few episodes back, you would have heard us talk about the the brand new special edition of the special weapons Dalek from Robert Harrop. Yes, those fine peeps uh, that make all of the um, really cool. Um, uh, little statues and so on and so forth. Uh, so as soon as we saw this one, we were on it straight away, weren't we? Yeah, we both were. Yeah, we were like immediately yeah. pre-ordered. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And uh, mine turned up the other day. I can't remember what number mine is. I think it's 20, no, 31, I think, out of 250. Right. So not too bad. And uh, it's beautiful, mate. Yeah, I saw the pictures posted. It does. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't look like a disappointment. It looks absolutely beautiful. Crikey! Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get mine on on the shelf. Yeah, and it's it, the turret spins as well, doesn't it? It does the top half. Yeah, yeah which is because they normally with their statues, they're just yeah. There's no movement in it, but this one, it does actually have a moving turret. I see, which is kind of cool. Yes. Uh, and what's yeah. nice about it is that uh, they could have because these statues are like a, I don't know what material it is. It's like a resin. Um, it's like a hard um, resin, isn't it? Mm, I Pro- don't know what it is, actually. Yeah, I'd say yeah. resin. Some kind of hard material. And what they've done, which is really nice, is they've put this very soft kind of felt material 
on the top of the bottom half and underneath the top half, if that makes sense. So, yep. that, so that when you sort of connect them together and you spin it, you haven't got this sort of grinding against the resin I, material. That's so weird. Yeah. I wondered about that. Yeah, when I saw it, I had visions of like paint flaking off every time you moved it. Yeah, oh, that's good then. Yeah, so it turns yeah. really smooth and it's nice and the detail is fantastic. It's got little quirky bits that I like about Robert Harrop. So on one mm. of the photos that I posted, I I posted a picture of the um, the the weapon um, turret facing straight into the camera and yeah. you can see because it's made up of like smaller circles if that makes sense and then one of the circles is just off center a little bit and the other one's off center so it's not perfect mm. and i love that i love that it's because the actual full-size dalek would have been the same mm. you know they yeah. you know they would ne they were never perfectly symmetrical or you know spent months and months like they do on you know props these days mm. uh, and i love that i love those little quirky bits about the robert harrop figures that i don't know it just feels perfectly who that makes sense yeah. it feels perfectly classic who and the details amazing and it looks beautiful so i'm really happy you, you're gonna love it mate when you get yours yeah yeah i was gonna say yeah i'm hoping mine uh, mine hasn't been dispatched yet but hopefully it'll be soon um so what so you've got the sea devil and the special weapons yes you got another one nope no those two so just yeah two. i was gonna say yep. but they look good together yeah yeah it's Indeed. nice uh, talking to things um being dispatched i finally got my logo t-shirt by the way oh you did <laughs> and you took right. a month to arrive but oh, i finally God. got it yeah i'm not wearing it because obviously we missed a week i was going to wear it last week but yes just for anyone following that saga from F fb it's <laughs> the new new dot two logo t-shirt has, has finally arrived kind of my enthusiasm's kind of really dwaned now now it's got here oh. i kind of like opened it and went yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, when I ordered it, I was like really pumped. It's like, yeah, new logo. Oh, I really like this tea. It, it just sort of limped through the letterbox. I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll probably wear it to a future convention oh, <laughs> before mate. it gets shrunk in the in the tumble dryer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. So it's all good. So I just got away from a special weapons to turn up, and all will be well. All, all will be all will be right in the world again. All will be right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, enough waffle. Yes. We should probably land the TARDIS. A bit of news, yeah. Right, first up. Um, the, um, the original Doctor Who recordings, um, which date back to the very first, well, some of the very early episodes, right from the, um, the Hartnell era. Um, they were, uh, under the, they were under the responsibility and custodian, if you like, um, of a gentleman called Graham Strong. So he was the guy that, um, made sure that all of the original recordings, um, from the early years, um, were sort of kept intact and catalogued and, and all that stuff. Um, but they're making a, a shift and they're getting a new home. And uh, they've been donated to the man himself, Mr. Mark Ayers. Mm. And if you're into your classic Who, um, especially the restoration team and, and all that stuff, um, his name should ring a bell. He's the guy that is part of the Doctor Who restoration team and works um, with the music soundtracks and the sound effects and cleaning up all the audio and, and all that stuff. Um, so 
uh, Graham has donated all of the original um, high-quality audio from the missing episodes as well. It's quite important. So if, even if mm. we haven't got the uh, the video reels and so on for some of the missing Classic Who stuff, uh, the audio is still there, which is good. And yeah, they're going over to Mark, who can properly sort of look after them and make sure they're archived properly and and all that stuff. So um, yeah, so Graham Strong is it, it's kind of a, a lifelong passion of his. Really, he started um, uh, recording his making his own recordings of Doctor Who audio when he was a teenager using a really old, you know, the old reel-to-reel, yeah, really old analog stuff. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just been keeping them safe and sound ever since, really. Um, but I think now it's getting to the time where, you know, the value of these things is is increasing all the time, especially the lost episodes and so on. So I think, it's, um, I think it needs to be transferred over to somebody, in this case Mark, or a team at least, who can really make sure that they're, you know, secured for the future. So mm. if at any point we do get those missing episodes turn up, um, the uh, the original high-quality audio is there ready, you know, as part of the, the restoration team. So uh, this is really good. I love things like this where, you know, even really old Doctor Who stuff is still making news today. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's wonderful, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's good stuff for the original audio stuff because it could have easily just sat in somebody's garage or somebody's loft and then uh, one day, relative takes it to a car boot sale, and then, or, exactly. or even worse, takes it to the dump, and then you're like, "Oh my god!" So it's good that it's going to be looked after and and secured. So, yeah, Marquez is the man to do, isn't he? He's brilliant. He's such a stickler yeah. for detail. He he does amazing work with with um with the audios that they have. Yeah, it's good. I, I mean, I don't know about you, mate, but I can remember doing that as a kid: is sticking a tape recorder next to the TV to try and record the soundtrack of stuff you know back before sort of we got got things like audios released and um yeah, yeah i mean it's basically what he did isn't it? he sort of put a microphone hanging over the tv next to the speaker recorded all the audio from the from the television and he's basically yeah just collected yeah. it all over the years and handed it over to marquez so yeah it's, no, good. it's, it's really nice yeah yeah because he was into um sort of audio technology and so on like you said he just used to put a microphone up to the tv speaker yeah. Um, and this follows on from the very first series, so from episode seven of the Daleks Master Plan. Oh, right. Yeah, so from way, way back. Um, but apparently, um, the the quality of, it, of his own recordings are a lot higher <laughs> um, than the actual original studio recordings. Gosh, really? So, yeah. Yeah, so he was able to um, get some really clear proper crystal clear audio from a lot of his recordings so uh it's great great news that's amazing i bet mark yeah. thought christmas had come early i bet he's loving yeah going through all of that that's quite something yeah um right in other news some really really sad news i'm i'm genuinely like gutted to have to report this but um as many of you listening will have already heard uh, ken dodd passed away at the age of 90 um, obviously best known for his stand-up comedy and television comedy, um, but he did star in Doctor Who in the seventh Doctor story, Delta and the Bannermen. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was, and he was great in that. I mean, I, I've got to admit, when I, I remember them saying that, you know, coming next week, you know, back when I was a kid and seeing this picture of Doddy and thinking, Ken Dodd in Doctor Who? What? Um, but <laughs> you know what? I absolutely love love him in in that story. Um, yeah. I always think it's really sad when he gets shot at the end, mm. and, uh, shot in as well. Um, but yeah, so sadly, Doddy has passed away, uh, as I said, at the age of ninety. Um, as with a lot of people he leaves behind an amazing legacy um i always wanted to meet doddy i don't know about you i always wanted to meet him because he had a real positive sort of outlook didn't he you know Mm -hmm. like a lot of comedians that you know nowadays it's all negative it's all putting stuff down doddy was the absolute fit i mean but many would say you know uh outdated but i think we need more of people like Doddy, he's, you know, if you watch interviews of him, he's so hardworking. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of shows he was still doing mm-hmm. um, up until he died. You just would not believe, you know, um, how hard this man worked. And and basically, he did it because he he loved it. He really did. There's no there's no other reason that a man would be doing like fifty odd shows a year at the age of ninety, other than the fact that he loved it. So uh, it's very sad. Um, but as I said, he leaves behind a great great legacy absolutely you know? mate yeah. yeah it's really sad um but yeah it's it's one of those things you have to um you know think about their really long successful career and and legacy like you say and mm. yeah trying to think because he how old was he when he passed away he was 90 wasn't he yeah and i think he worked for over 50 60 years or something like that he was a well, I remember yeah. what I wanted to go, I really wanted to meet him. I wanted to go and see one of his shows and mm. he, he tended to do Seaside Town. So it That's was very right. rare that he come anywhere out this way. Um, but then uh, about two years ago, he was doing a show in oh, in Buckinghamshire somewhere. I forget name now, but it wasn't that far from here. I remember thinking, oh, I could get to it, um, you know, and... W- when we looked at tickets that, you know, they'd got sort of two seats left, but they were in different. So I'd have been sat like upstairs and my partner would have been sat downstairs. It was like that. So I was like, my other half probably won't get it anyway. So I'll probably go on my own. And then I didn't go. And I've always regretted it. Cause he, as I said, he, you know, to be honest, I really just wanted to go to see him live and to see, to actually try and get to meet him. But he was renowned, wasn't he? For doing like five hour shows. He basically just wouldn't leave the stage you know i mean that just goes to show how much he loved what he did um i know people i used to work with a guy that absolutely loved him and said you know the the sort of matinee audience would still be there when the evening audience came for the show and that's absolutely true he just literally had to be excuse me dragged off stage a lot of the time um so he is the thing is i think we need more comedians like ken dodd in the world we live in today but the thing is he is a real one-off i think Oh, you of know, course, yeah. Absolute yeah. one-off, so, yeah, but yes. there we are. Ken we should, yeah, should refer to him as Sir Ken Dodd. Sir Ken Dodd, yeah. He did get his knighthood a couple of years back, which is very well-deserved, of course, with services to entertainment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we say goodbye to uh, old Doddy. Tollmaster. I was trying to think what his name Tollmaster. was in, down yeah. about the Tollmaster. Of course he was, yeah. <laughs> the rock and roll years. <laughs> anyway, so there we are. Ken Dodd. Ken nice. Dodd. Uh, last up for news, we got some very interesting Eccleston. Very interesting that have surfaced recently. He's finally said mm. it. Yeah, so we've been kind of elude. He's alluded to these things over the years, but has never sort of explicitly said, you know, yes, it was this or that 
whatever. He's probably fi- so sick of being asked. He's finally just like, oh, I'll just tell you. Because yeah. I reckon he's, he's been worn down. Yes. Well, he's knocking on a bit now. You know, I'm not saying that he's old, but, you know, he's probably getting to that age where he thinks, oh, I'm just too old for all this. Yeah. You know, I'm too old for all this Chinese whispers and all that. Yeah, so he's done an interview with the Radio Times recently. And they have asked him, obviously, you know, various questions. I'm sure he got fired in most of his interviews over the years. Mm-hmm. But has decided to uh, just give us a bit of a, a clearer picture. And like I said, he's alluded to these things over the years. And yes. now he said it. So um, he's essentially saying that the relationship between him and he, he doesn't mention Russell by name. But it's obvious that it's him because he says uh, his relationship with his immediate superiors, the showrunner, so that's Russell, yeah, uh, the producer, um, which would be... Phil Collinson. Phil Collinson and co-producer, which would be... What's her name? Ah, forgotten her name. What's her name? Um, yeah. Her. Oh, no. Judy Gardner. Ju- that's it. Yeah. Uh, he said it broke down irreparably during the first block of filming and it never recovered. Uh, they lost trust in me and I lost faith and trust and belief in them. Oof. So the, we, this is known, this is like, isn't news to anybody. But what is, you know, quite telling is that how quickly this happened. So the first block of filming. That's what shocked me. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. And he goes on to say, uh, some of my anger about the situation came from my own insecurity. Uh, they employed somebody who was not a natural light comedian. Uh, he says, I think that if you're setting up a huge series like that, the director has to be impeccable in setting the tone. Uh, Billy Piper, who we knew, who we know was and is brilliant, was very, very nervous and very inexperienced. So you had that, and then you had me, who was very, very experienced, possibly the most experienced on it, but out of my comfort zone. Ooh. So that sounds to me like very up for the part, really into it. Just not sure if he can pull off the sort of quirky, humorous bits. So people like Matt Smith, you can tell were kind of born to do that kind of role. Mm. The very light, fluffy, comedic, quirky stuff. Whereas Chris Eccleston, you can tell that he's quite, you know, it doesn't come as natural to him. Mm. I think that it does show slightly yeah. on screen. I think he should have had a bit more faith in himself because it, it, it's totally true. He's so fantastic as the Doctor. But when he does do the sort of more jokey scenes, I think there are moments when it does stand out that he, you can tell he's not that comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although he does pull it off. He's still still great at oh, doing it. But you can yeah. sort of feel that insecurity a little bit. I think he got better at it. I think when we reviewed Boomtown... He was sort of firing off a few quirky bits of script. And I remember me and you mm. saying he's sort of handling in that quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think, yeah, perhaps some of the other stuff he, he wasn't as comfortable with. But yeah. it's fascinating. It is, yeah. And he goes on. I'm just going to rattle through just two more quotes yeah, that, yeah. that they've put out there. It says, he says, when I left, I gave my word to then showrunner Russell uh, that I wouldn't do anything to damage the show. Uh, but they did things to damage me. Uh, I didn't criticize anybody. And I didn't issue a statement. And uh, the last quote, it uh, sort of elaborates on what he means by they damaged me. He says, I gave them a hit show and left with dignity. And then they put me on a blacklist. 
Oh dear. I was carrying my own insecurities as it was something I'd never done before. And then I was abandoned, vilified in the tabloid press and blacklisted. I told my agent at the time, uh, sorry, I was told by my agent at the time, the BBC regime is against you. Cool. You're going to have to get out of the country and wait for regime change. So I went to America and kept on working because that's where my parents, that's what my parents instilled in me. My dad always said to me, I don't care what you do, sweeping the floor or whatever you're doing, just do the best job you can. He says, I know it's cliched and northern and all that beep, but it applies. Mm. So I've heard of this before where um, the, the BBC, sometimes they do have this very controlling almost bullish uh, attitude towards certain people. I can hear Colin Baker now of, saying, yes, yes, Chris, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it always comes from the top because I don't, I truly believe that Russell himself would never have, you know, said to Chris, you know, if you leave or, you know, you, you've decided to leave. I can't, I just can't imagine Russell giving Chris the kind of, you know, you're never going to work for the BBC again. And you're ne I can't imagine Russell no. doing that. So as usual, these things normally come from the top. So I can imagine that the executives at the BBC thought, this is amazing. We've got brilliant ratings for the launch of, you know, uh, the, the, the new Doctor Who series. It's all amazing. We want this to continue. Oh no, Chris has decided to leave. You know, we'll show him kind of thing. <laughs> So I can well believe what Chris is saying about the BBC kind of being out to get him a little bit and sort of striking his name off the list for a while and so on. So very interesting stuff, mate. It sounds like what we see on camera is very different to what was actually happening during filming and production. I find yeah. it incredible, mate. I mean, we've he's sort of alluded to this since he left. It's It's great to finally get a more concisive answer on why he left but you're right when you look at series one and i think even russell says in one of the commentaries that they're amazed how much they got right you know when they were making it they just didn't know you know until the finished product was out there they couldn't even sense whether it was going in the right direction and stuff so it sounds like there was so much insecurity on series yeah, one yeah. and it just amazes me how good it is and i and i wonder if chris had if they hadn't have had this falling out, even with his insecurities, if he'd have got to the end of series one and seen how well it was received, mm -hmm. whether it would have boosted his confidence and he might have thought, yeah, okay, all right, I did that, but these are the things I want to tweak. I'm going to make series two amazing. Mm, yeah. But because they fell out in block one, which, like you said, is, is shocking to think so early on that that happened, that's just you know, set the path. He's decided, right, well, I'm not, you know, I'll do this series and I'm, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just imagine if he had got to the end of the first series and all the, cause the press was good. The fans were on board. The ratings were high. It might've just given him that boost that he clearly needed for his confidence to do the part. Cause uh, yeah. I don't think he realizes how good he is in it, but from what he's saying. Yeah. He kind of cut yeah. himself off completely. Didn't he from, yeah. from all of it and although I don't think that like I said I don't personally think that Russell would have you know said anything like you're never going to work they, they they did have a falling out for sure because mm. he goes on to say that um, the relationship um, was destroyed due to the yeah. experiences on Doctor Who and that they will never have 
a working relationship again. That's I find that so sad. It I mean, because I always yeah. always because Chris and Russell worked together quite a bit before Doctor Who, you know, on shows like The Second Coming, which was a brilliant drama and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and I just I don't know. I don't like to think of Russell T Davis and Chris falling out because mm-hmm. I like them both. And it's like two, it's like two mates, isn't it? Yeah. That have had a big old bust up, and you're like, come on, guys, just let's have a drink, pat each other on the back. Let's, let's you know, you can let's work through this sort of thing. And it's yeah, I find that really sad, to be honest. It is, yeah. it is sad. But you can, but now that Chris has said these things in a bit more detail, mm. you can kind of see why that he's sort of pulled away from it over the years. Because if oh, you, I can. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I, I know that we've given him a hard time, especially like the first couple of years of our podcast. Mm. We did give him a bit of a hard time where we said, you know, you're out of order for not, you know, going to conventions and you never, you know, mention Doctor Who and, you, you know, you shouldn't pull yourself away. You know, I know hindsight's a beautiful thing, but looking back yeah. on it, and I've had, you know, it could be anything at all in your life. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. If you've had like a really, really crappy experience that sucks, it does affect you. And it does make you think, well, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. You know, that's, yeah, that yeah. sucks. So you can kind of see why he's, you know, he's absolutely not been like Tennant or Smith or anyone like that. You know, he's really gone the other way. So it's just very interesting. It's sad, but it's interesting. It, it makes so much more sense, doesn't it? And I really do think that he's he's probably bitten his lip this whole time. Like, I think, you know, I've assumed that he didn't want to talk about it. But I think, actually, he's it's more that he's, you know, like he said, he probably didn't, although he's fallen out with them, he he's does consider himself, you know, he's a professional actor. He probably doesn't want to just dish all the dirt on what happened. So he's probably bitten his lip for quite a while, I think, on this. And maybe either he thinks the time's right to talk about it or he's just so sick of being asked that he just thought, oh, I'll just tell you. Or, you know, it just come out in an interview mm, yeah. naturally. But either way, it's really interesting to finally get some sort of proper answers on why he left. Everything does seem to sort of click into place now. You know, the yeah. reason that he's distanced himself from the show. And he's a very different calibre of actor to, to sort of David Tennant in his work ethics as well. You know, he he's just, I want to say he's a more, he takes himself, oh no, not, I was going to say takes himself more seriously, but that's not quite what I mean. But I know what you're yeah. getting at, yeah. He's, Do you know um, what I mean? He's, yeah. I, I, it, again, this isn't quite what I'm getting at, but he's a bit more sort of, um, <laughs> I was going to say, oh, I, can't, I can't think of the word, but whereas David Tennant's a bit more easygoing, Chris can be a bit critical of himself and he takes himself a bit more seriously and yes, stuff. You yeah. know, he's a bit, um, his ethics are different. So it does explain a lot. Yes. The word I was going to use probably isn't suitable for podcasts, but I don't mean it in a bad way. <laughs> I, I know what you mean, yeah. So we, yeah. we're trying to, in a nice way, say that, you know, he's, he's his own worst critic at times and, I guess, yeah. He tries to, you know, put the best into his role and so on. But it just seems like that kind of was at loggerheads with somebody else's view on what should, what the character should have been. And that's what it sounds like to me anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But there we go. Chris Eccleston finally giving us a bit more uh, meat on the bones as to why he buggered off. And it's been great for Twitter, actually, because that that line, that last bit you read about, I gave them a hit show, but I left with dignity and they put me on the blacklist. There's been so many 
things on Twitter where yeah. people have used that quote and then they've put like a picture of um, like the Candyman or, you know, like the green blob from um, uh, Image Offender. I don't, they don't I mean, people have been really using that quote with silly pictures and it's been really yeah. funny, actually, just yeah. sort of taking the mickey out of it. But anyway, there, we, there go. we go. There we go. Right, that's news done. Should we get our little metal grumpy friend in? Oh, yes. See what he's got. Match corner. Match corner. Match corner. I don't know whether to be impressed or disgusted. It's a bit rubbish, but it's pretty. It's very pretty. Who talk? <laughs> Toby Haydoke, that's who. Who talk commentaries. You've heard us speak about these many times before. It's where Toby Haydoke gathers a bunch of old classic dudes gets them around a microphone, they watch a, a classic story and record their own commentary. Mm. And then they publish that as a CD. You then stick the CD on and watch it along with the story. And you get an alternate version of what's been supplied on the classic DVD. Mm. And um, some new ones are coming up. They are coming up. So we have um, the... Uh, What's the first one? Uh, the Faceless Ones and the Evil of the Daleks. That's it. Yes. Um, so it was, I think this spans from, they wanted to do um, some more, but I think when Deborah Watling passed away, um, this was, I think one of these was the last ones that she did, or one of the last ones, I believe. Right. Because... Um, um, the producer on these, um, Paul Ballard says, uh, with a heavy heart, we um, we include uh, our last commentary recording with our dear friend Deborah Watling, um, who is joined by missing episode hunter Phil Morris uh, to watch the concluding instalment of the Web of Fear. So you'll get that as you know as, as an extra, I assume, right uh, on on these. Um, and he goes on to say that it's a, a packed release. This one special edition version contains more, even more material, including Fraser Hines' commentary for The Abominable Snowmen uh, and George Layton's uh, first viewing of The Space Pirates. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Um, so uh, these two new ones, I think they're going to be released as, are they separate ones or one special edition? Never... I think it's two separate releases, I think. Yes. Yeah. Or do you mean, sorry, do you mean Evil of the Daleks and Faces ones? Yeah. I think they're on one set. One set, and then, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they've got um, uh, a following one that's coming up. I assume it's this, the end of this month, I think. Uh, so yeah. Survival e. uh, is going on to uh, have its own custom commentary. So um, uh, Paul goes on to say that it's one of his favourite serials and we have had a few reunions uh, uh, of the cast at conventions over the year so it was a no-brainer to take advantage of the exciting options available to get the gang back together to watch mm. survival for who talk um and then he goes on to say that um there are two complete commentaries for the story uh on that release um they're thrilled to be joined by rona Monroe, who was the was she the director or the writer the writer the writer yeah yeah um and uh, he's saying that she hasn't been interviewed that much about the series. Mm. And uh, uh, Ace, Sophie Aldred, Yay. for the first time, joins them for Who Talk as well. So the special edition, which is the Faithless Ones and Evil of the Daleks, um, is coming out as a special edition because you also get um, the the very last uh, commentary that Deborah Watling did with those guys for The Web of Fear. 
And then the second one is survival. Um, let me see how much these are. I think they're normally around 10, 15 pounds, aren't they? Yeah, I think I guess I think they're sort of twelve ninety nine, but they often discount them to like ten ninety nine. I think when they first come out or something like that. Yeah, because I've, I've got a couple of these. They're they are, are they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so survival is nine ninety nine. Ah. And uh, the special edition here that we mentioned that's got um, uh, the the faceless ones, either the Daleks and so on, is called uh, the Monster Era, uh, and that's nine ninety nine as well. That's really good. These are quite mm. good, mate. I've got a couple of these. They started off by doing, there are a couple of DVDs that didn't have commentaries. So they, that I think that's what sparked it off. So they did um, like Enemy of the World and and uh, The Web of Fear. And then it's just rolled on and they've done loads since then. I think if you're looking at the page now, there's loads on there, isn't loads. there? Loads. Um, and they're, they're really good. It's nice to have commentaries for ones that didn't get one at the time or like you said, alternative commentaries and stuff from from people that weren't on the original ones. So, yeah, like you said, like the Ray Monroe one, it's, she's not been, you know, interviewed much. So, yeah, they're nice little releases. They are. Yeah, so head over to uh, Phantom Publishing. That's Phantom with an F, not a PH. Mm-hmm. Phantom Publishing, look at it, UK forward slash who hyphen talk. Awesome. Right, what's this other thing he's got on his tray? It looks familiar. Uh, oh, yes. It's the Doctor Who Series 3 Steelbook, oh, which is yeah. <laughs> with a new cover. <laughs> so they've they've got rid of the wrong master. Um, they've shoved the right master on the back. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, the release date's been pushed back to the 7th of May to give them time to read it. So j- just before I say anything mm. else, you know, kudos to the BBC for actually listening to the feedback and and doing something about it it's an improvement (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, yeah it's an improvement that's all i'm gonna say i mean i still don't really like this artwork i've got to be honest but um but it's better than it was it has the right master it's just that now we've got the front with the doctor and martha on it nothing else Mm. and then we've got this really busy montage on the back with the master of a load of weeping angels the wrong tardis and and a purple background so this still uh, it still kind of irks me you can probably tell i just don't i'm just not a fan of this artwork it's just, but um it's better anyway it it looks it's it's okay it's all right isn't it it's better than it was it's okay yes yeah so before i think we mentioned this back in 177 possibly something like that mm-hmm. and yeah it, the majority of who fandom just went nuts about it Oh, they did. And I, for once, I actually agree with, because <laughs> I was saying recently about everyone moaning about everything, wasn't I? But mm. I have to agree that um, I'm kind of glad people kicked up about this one, to be honest. Yes. It's, um, yeah, so they put the wrong, mar- so on the front cover, they had the wrong uh, John Sim, didn't they, Master? And, yeah. And then on the back, they had a bunch of different versions, like the the Weeping Angels were, one of them was the big chief toy. Yeah, it was like a different <laughs> art style, but sort of mushed into the same image on the back cover, if you like. And they've mm. still got the wrong TARDIS as well. I'll, I'll tell you what I did notice yeah. as well. The the artist, and I, I forget her name, because um, she's not been... She's sort of... They haven't put her name to it very much on the sort of mm. press releases, but she did backtrack a little bit on Twitter, I noticed, because at first she blamed the BBC, didn't she? She was like, said that, um, oh, that was the image they gave me. They told me to use it. 
And then someone said, oh, can I quote you on that? And she said, no, oh, actually, um, <laughs> no, no, they, they did give me a couple of versions and I thought that one suited. So she did backtrack a little bit on that, which is a little bit cheeky, to be honest. But, um, but you know, kudos for her for taking the time to go back and correct it. And um, I, I think it is the better for it, although I still don't particularly like it overall. I, I think it does look better. Yeah. Yes, it's an improvement for sure. It's not, mm. but, you know, damn the bloody... BBC for this because they'll have to buy it because I bought the first two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I'm the same. I, I think, um, you know, obviously I'll buy it because I've got one and two, but it certainly yeah. won't look anywhere near as good because series one and two steelbooks are beautiful by lean binding. Absolutely lovely mm, yeah. artwork on those. This is going to this is going to look very different next to it. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, I'll wait till I see the actual thing, obviously. I won't judge it till I see the proper... Mm product but um it's a very different style and in my personal opinion not as professional no i agree what they should have done really is put the correct tardis on the front behind the doctor and martha if they're going to have a tardis on there it looks very busy doesn't it now that back yeah and on the back just have sort of big foreboding menacing sort of darkened out image of of the master and then you can put a couple of weeping angels because it's not just the weeping angels from series three. Well, they're they're only in one story, aren't they? Yeah, they could have had a few different, you know, who monsters under there, and sort of mm. John Sim sort of overlooking, very menacing. They could have done something like that, but who who think, are we to judge? Yeah, I was going to say, and I don't mean to be. I know the artist, as I said, I don't mean to not the artist because it's somebody's hard work. So I will say that you know i don't mean to be cruel but i am just giving my yeah overall opinion yeah. of it that's all i'm doing i don't mean to be horrible to the artist but um yeah i think what she's trying to do is she's you know with the sort of series one steel series one and two steel books it's kind of very simple isn't it it's just the doctor and rose mm-hmm. on the front and stuff and i think perhaps by removing the master from the front she may have been trying to sort of tie it in a bit more yes. by keeping yeah. the front simple but uh, yeah i don't know like you mate i'll obviously buy it because i, I want to keep going with the steel book collection so yeah 7th of May it's out anyway. I think it's currently going for around about twenty four ninety nine pre-order at the minute, which isn't too bad. Not too bad, no. Yeah. 7th of May. Yeah. That's it for news and merch. He's buggered off anyway. He's gone. He's long gone. Don't stick around. Mm-hmm. Right, review time. Tom-ta-ha. Santa-ha. Santa-ha. It's the potato heads this week. What is. story is it? So it's um, part one of a two-parter, and it's the Sontaran Stratagem. Doctor, it's Martha, and I'm bringing you back to Earth. 52 deaths at the exact same moment worldwide. <laughs> Who are you? I am General Star of the 10th Sontaran Battlefleet. We have an intruder! It's the Sontarans. They're in the file, code red Sontarans, but if they're inside the factory, tell them not to start shooting. Unit will get massacred. Is that what you did to her? Turned her into a soldier? What is that? Sontaran! Stare into the face of death! Mmm. Mmm. Sometimes the trailers are very... Hollywood action packed. Yeah. There's a lot of screaming in that moment there. Yeah. A lot of screaming. Yeah. So the Centauran stratagem 
was first broadcast back in 2008, 10 years ago. Oh, gosh, I'm starting to feel really old. I know. <laughs> 10 years ago. It was written by Helen Rayner. It was directed by Douglas McKinnon. Uh, obviously overseen by the Eccleston haters. <laughs> yeah. RTD, Julie Gardner and Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they're probably all joking around on set, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're here, David. We wouldn't have had this with old Chris. He would have been moaning every five minutes. <laughs> uh, anyways, it stars, as we know, David Tennant as the 10th Doctor. With uh, it's a double companion, yeah. Story. So we've got uh, Donna Noble, Catherine Tate, who's the um, series four sort of regular. Uh, I was going to say component, then regular. Mm. Um, what's the word? Companion. Companion. There we go. <laughs> um, but Martha's back for this one. <laughs> yeah, Martha's back. Yes, Freema, she's back, um, and uh, she's got herself promoted. Yeah. So she no longer works at disappearing hospitals. She now works for Unit. I'm not sure what she does at Unit because she still has some kind of medical badge, but she doesn't yeah. do anything medical. She's more of a sort of project scientist. manager, scientist yeah. thing. Like you on me, we're running down this corridor <laughs> and now we're back. So yeah, Martha Jones <laughs> is back. And the story is... Um, the uh, majority of the cars on planet Earth has been fitted with this very snazzy sat-nav system called Atmos, uh, which turns out to be a bit more of a sinister, uh, potentially very dangerous car upgrade. As we see a very nosy reporter meet her comeuppance at the beginning as, as a result of this oh, Atmos yeah. thing. <laughs> um, and it's been designed, supposedly, and manufactured by this very genius young chap. Oh, him. Um, mm. And uh, he's getting help from an, uh, an otherworldly, unlikely assistant or assistants. Uh, so um, this is all triggered by Unit being aware of this mass sort of death occurrence across the Earth. 50-odd people die at the same time. It's all very weird aliens etc so they draft in the doctor martha calls him in with with donna and they soon realize that something's not right at all with this atmos thing so they track it down to the designer which is the genius american annoying kid <laughs> and uh, the doctor figures out that he's got a portal which goes up to the centauran ship he figures out it's centaurans the whole time there's clonage going on so martha gets cloned the soldiers get cloned oh, yeah and uh, at the very end the um the Centaurans think they've done away with the Doctor, uh, and then they launch their grand weapon. So all of the Atmos units in the cars around the world start spewing out the poisonous gas. Old uh, old Wilf. Wilf, he's trapped. Donna's trying to get him out. The Doctor doesn't know what to do. Everything's going to beep, and that's the uh, the first part. Yes. Yeah. So. What are your general feelings on this one? Right. Well, um, I was actually quite pleasantly surprised by oh, this. Right. I was, yeah, because I, as I said, I watched it when it went out and then I quickly forgot about it. And I don't think I've watched it since. I may have watched it once when I bought the DVD set. I, I certainly don't remember. But so, yeah, I watched this um, the other night and uh, 
expecting it to be, you know, a bit drab, to be honest. That's how I remember it. I don't, that, nothing about it, like you said earlier, stuck in my mind at all. Like I've never reached to put this two-parter on. So, um, yeah, I actually, I put it on and sat there and got sort of drawn in and I was like, oh, Martha's back. Yeah, I forgot Martha's in this. And, oh, there's a funny thing in the basement. That's done quite well. And, <laughs> oh, Donna and Martha are getting on and that's, in, you know, they're quite good together. And, oh, they've got a really good cliffhanger. And I thought, actually, you know what? I've, I quite enjoyed that as a first part. And, um, yeah, I was quite surprised because uh, maybe just because I haven't watched it for so long, I I just wasn't expecting a lot from it, to be on, to be honest with you. But, um, no, I thought it was decent. Not not amazing, but not drab like I remembered it. It was actually quite a good little watch. It it did have tones of like the classic series as well. I don't know. There were bits about it where I thought, actually, this is really uh, seeing yeah. really good mm-hmm. stuff going on here. Um, and I quite like the Sontarans in it, which I don't remember liking at the time. <laughs> I, I think I remember thinking they were sort of made too comedy when I watched right. this back right. in, what was it, 2008? Yeah. Whereas... Uh, I quite liked them this time, although they're not in it that much. So yeah, my overall thing on a rewatch is um, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Not amazing, Mm -hmm. but certainly an enjoyable little 45 minutes. And I, I do think the cliffhanger is great. I definitely wanted to go on to part two, which I didn't do because we're going to review it separately, but yeah, it it definitely made me want to watch the rest. I wasn't sort of sat there thinking, oh, God, I've got to do part two next week. Mm. Mm. I was actually like, oh, I'm quite looking forward to watching the second one. I hope this is good. Okay. So that's my thoughts, mate. What did you What do you think of it? You, you sound like you've watched it more than me. Yeah, I've done a few uh, tenant marathons yeah. over the years. So I think I may have, this may be like the third or fourth time I've, I've watched it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, my opinion hasn't changed on it too much since the last couple of times I watched it. Um, I generally think it's okay. It's a pretty good story. Mm. Um, and I'm really glad that you said that it reminds you of classic who in a way, because it does have a kind of, uh, I don't know, it has a classic feel to it. Mm. I don't know why it does have a, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, um, and I don't feel like uh, it is sometimes when we do two parters, it's quite difficult to not reference the next part. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I, how do I say this without revealing mm. the punchline, so to speak? Um, my my feelings towards the Centaurans change from this one to the next. Oh conclusion. no! You see, I haven't watched the second part, and the good thing is, I can't remember a blimmin' thing about <laughs> it. I literally, I yeah. I think it's going to be like watching a new episode. I can't remember part two at all. Yeah. So I'm um. Oh no, I'm hoping it's going to be like this where I'm going to watch it and think, oh, it's much better. And I thought, but now I'm thinking it might not, but we'll see. We'll uh, see. Yeah. On a plus note, um, I, my feelings towards them were, because in my memory, I thought, you know, it, have they sort of devalued the menace of the Centaurans? But thankfully, they didn't see much in this. I, you know, they were quite sort of. You know, the the thing with the Centaurans, as everybody knows, who who's seen any of their stories, especially in the classic years, is that they're very well at they they do well at planning the war. Mm. You know, so they're build up and they're planning and their you know their their war scheme, if you like, is always very good, and they carry that through into this into into modern Doctor Who, which is great because it would be a bit silly for them to just turn up like Cybermen do or. Daleks and just start shooting up the place. You know, that didn't, it wouldn't feel right because Centaurans are very 
you know, they've done their homework. It's a slow build. And I'm glad that they've done that with, with modern Doctor Who. I'm still I'm still not sure. I cannot decide whether I like the sort of redesign of the I mean they've kept the sort of potato <laughs> head look, which is fine. Yeah. I just cannot decide if I like the blue rubbery suits or not, because it does look okay, but <laughs> part of me doesn't like it. I'm really torn. Do you like the redesign? Or do you like I mean they they look better than they did in the two doctors where they're about ten feet tall um in right, those silly right. but but uh, I don't um, know. To me, still the the, the best Santaran for me is still um, the John Perry episode. The time is it Time Warrior? The Time Warrior. Uh, yeah. yeah, that he just you know it looks fantastic in in that. Um, but they sort of seem to get worse over the years. And then <laughs> this design, it looks very rubbery. I think the suit. Um, I just don't know. Part of me likes it. Part of me doesn't. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a. It's a tale of two parts, really, because the mm-hmm. the head part of it, you can tell that they've gone for sort of ultra realism. So they want it to look like skin and mm. muscles, you know, sort of all morphed into this big dome shape. Yeah. So in terms of makeup and prosthetics and stuff, it does look great. You know, that does gone, look good. Yeah. yeah. They've gone for the realism, you know, because in some of the older classic episodes, you can see that it's just a, it's almost it's like a brown shopping bag. <laughs> and they just the two cut doctors a mouth. Ones yeah. do. They look yeah. terrible. Yeah. They, they really, yeah. <laughs> they just cut a. You know. e- even the Sontaran experiment um, one doesn't look that great. I mean, it just get compared to the yeah. original one, it's all, it just looks amazing. I mean, that actually looks like a potato. That, <laughs> you know, the skin yeah. is dirty and bits of hair growing out of it. It's brilliant that the first Sontaran. <laughs> it does look like um, a potato, yeah. Yeah. Whose name escapes me. I know. Listeners will be shouting at me. I just can't think of his name. Is it Store or is that? No, this is Store, isn't it? Anyway, the first Sontaran, the John Perry one. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so I do like the makeup for this one. And, and there's a scene where um, Stahl turns up at the, the the manor house where, you know, Luke um, through the portal. And the doctor says, you know, reveal yourself. And he takes his helmet off. And there's a really close-up shot. Yeah. Of his face, and you can see like his sort of hairs I poking out where his eyebrows <laughs> supposedly. I like the fact they did that. Yeah. But the fact that they could get that close up on on uh, Christopher Ryan's face mm. shows how good the makeup is because it's a real proper close up. I mean, all you can see on the screen is just brown skin, Santaran mm. skin, and then his eyes really close to the camera and stuff. So they wouldn't yeah. have been able to have done that if the makeup was a bit ropey. No. So fair play to that. But the other half of it is the blue kind of space suity thing. Yeah. Uh, that that's probably where it does feel a little bit. It's not as bad as the uh Cyberman Iron Man style oh, in my opinion. No, it's not as bad as that. But it does but still, yeah. I wonder if I'd like it better if it was black, but then that would might look a bit too Jadoon like. Jadoon, um, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, see what I mean, but it, I don't know, maybe if they just tamed you know toned it down a little because it's quite a bright blue isn't it but yeah it's not a big it's not a biggie as i said i kind of like it but i kind of don't i'm just a bit torn on it um yeah mm. please tell me they throw that annoying kid in the in the (laughs) machine at the end please tell me he gets it uh i can't reveal (laughs) i can't remember what happens to him please tell me something i bet nothing happens to him i can't reveal I can't. I can neither confirm or deny because that would be <laughs> leaking into uh, the second part. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, yeah, we sort of the the, the Centaurans, I can 
you know what the problem is for me with St. Tyrants? Take a seat. <laughs> get a brew. Get a drink, yeah, get the kettle. <laughs> is that sometimes a certain character sticks in your head mm. and it makes you feel differently about everything else after you've... It's like you can't unwatch something, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, although he's really funny and good in a way, the character Strax has kind of had a an effect on me where it concerns Centaurans because when I'm watching episodes like this where it's um, uh, somebody else playing a sense because um, Dan Starkey is in this, isn't he? He plays Score. Yes, that's right. The yeah. other one. But when Christopher Ryan is in it playing General Stahl, I just always, I'm just waiting for him to come out with some comedic line that Strax does with the 11th Doctor mm. or yeah. with, you know, uh, Madame Vastra and all you know, the whole Paternoster gang thing. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for it now because I can't unwatch what I've seen with, and also listening to the big Finnish audio, the haunted house story with, um, Oh, Jager and Lightfoot. Yeah. You know, he's just so funny. And Dan Stark is brilliant at playing Strax. Mm-hmm. He's so good and so funny. It's now sort of had this subconscious effect on me. So when, when I'm watching Centaurans now, I'm just waiting for the one liners and the comedic side of him. So although I said that um, their sort of menace and threat hasn't been washed down or diluted down as much as I thought they, or remembered they did, I do still have this thing like, oh, you know, you, when you've got characters like Strax running around, they're not that bad, mm. <laughs> if that makes I do any know, sense. It, it does make perfect sense, actually. I think I thought... Uh, feel very similar to that because um i thought that that dan starkey would be playing strax in this i kind of in my memory thought strax was in it but then sort of turned a bit good towards the end i can't right. remember what strax's storyline is um mm-hmm. so yeah dan stark is in it but he's playing score in this one so he's playing a different character yeah um and you're absolutely right because christopher ryan plays it slightly comedic as style but he still has a good amount of you know, you can see he's got a bit of fire in his belly, so he's still a little bit threatening. But he does sort of, he does sort of have this humorous element to him, but yeah. not to the degree of Strax. But you're absolutely right because even when he's talking, I keep expecting like a little quip yeah. to come out, or I expect you know Score to say something funny because it's Dan Starkey, and that is a shame actually because that they have become very comedic. The Sotaras, if you look at them back in, you know, in the gen, um, what's the one? before Genesis of the Daleks, on Tyrant Experiment and, uh, you know, and the Time Warrior and stuff, the sort of comedic bit comes out of the fact that they take themselves so seriously, yes, doesn't it? The yeah. fact that they're, we are, you know, a race of war and all this sort of thing, and they, you know, and they're, they're quite proud of things and, you know, and that sort of stuff. Whereas in the sort of later series, they sort of start to ham themselves up a bit, don't they? And uh, yeah, so I, I totally get what you mean. I, there were a couple of little lines. I didn't find the comedy too much in this, but there were a couple of bits where I half expected one of them to come out with a serving tray or something <laughs> stupid, you know. So yeah, yeah, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, and it's frustrating. No, that's the wrong word. It's not frustrating. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I said earlier, I just can't unlisten now or unwatch the Strax mm. stuff. So um, a good man goes to war. That series six episode was was actually. I really like Strax in that. And I do think he's a real funny character and he bounces off of Matt Smith's doctors, doctor really well. 
Yeah. But it's like I said, now when I watch them in this, it does make me think like, oh, you know, I can't take you 100% seriously in your sort of threatening nature because, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard no, to explain. I'm sure a lot of listeners will, will get what we're saying, but... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So Centaurans, as, I mean, as a Centauran story, um, there was a, a fairly decent build-up, I suppose. We, they didn't just reveal them, you know, off the bat. We had to mm. wait until halfway through. Um, we could actually see, and it, it was a pretty good reveal when he takes his helmet off and yeah, and we see the close-up and so on. It's pretty good. And uh, yeah, and the kind of, I do wish they would have made them feel like there was more of them as well. So there's a couple of scenes where it's all CG, I think, where mm. there's like these little uh, Centauran little round things flying around and their little battleships and so on. Yeah. It would have been nice to have seen a bigger fleet and a lot more going on because we've seen that with Dalek stories, you know, in some of the stories where it's like a Dalek invasion, you see like hundreds of Dalek ships and it all looks I pretty good. It would have mm. been nice to have seen a bit more of that because of, you know, the sort of bread for war, huge Centauran fleets that we've supposedly meant to buy into. Yeah, and I, I must admit, I liked and I liked the designs of the ships. Like, um, I, I get what you mean. We could have had a bit more of that, but you know, like when we see the big Santaran spaceship just hovering over the Earth, I quite like that. That sort of threat just out there, and everyone unaware of it. And then you see all the little sort of Santaran <laughs> golf ball spaceships that <laughs> hark back to the classics, which I absolutely love. I love those spaceships. So that's quite nice to see us them in it slightly updated because they're like flying around and stuff aren't they but yeah, yeah. you know you can still clearly see it's that silver ball design mm-hmm. that we had in the classic so that's quite nice i quite like that but yeah i liked like the sort of having the threat just hovering over yeah um an unsuspecting earth so that was quite nice mm-hmm. yeah yeah um and what did you think to this story requiring so the centaurans requiring an ally on earth because that seems to go because they're obviously using this guy, this young lad, Luke. Mm. You know, um, so when I first watched it, I thought this doesn't sound like Centaurans. They don't need people on Earth to do their little bits of work. They can just do all that stuff. Um, but it's actually quite an interesting little twist. I find. I think it's it does help the story a little bit that they have this this ally on Earth, if you like, mm. who's doing all of the Atmos stuff and is in communication, in cahoots and so on. Yeah. Um, what do you think to that part of it? Even though the the guy playing Luke, Ryan Sampson, is annoying as hell, um, <laughs> what did you think to that part? Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's kind of cool. I, I do like this idea um, of having Atmos in everybody's cars. I really like that concept because it's, um, it's something you can imagine happening like we take technology for you know for granted all the time yes but you know i mean you have you have devices in your house that listen to your entire conversations we all know that and yet we do absolutely nothing about it we just think oh it's all right you know it doesn't matter Mm. and and yet this shows us that actually you know what one day it might matter the the all this stuff around you and so i really like the atmos you know um concept and uh, yeah, I think he's quite, he's quite a good part of that. I suppose he is annoying. I get the feeling he's going to get even more annoying in part two. I could tell because he's not in it that much as either character. What's he called? Ryan Luke. Samson. Oh, is it Luke? Oh, it was Ryan the actor's name. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, to be fair, he's playing it annoying. I don't think it's that he's a bad actor. I think I think he's doing you know what's on the page. So oh, of course, yeah. It's yeah. not um, mm-hmm. you know, it's no no bad thing against Ryan, but but yeah, he he is a bit sort of up himself and i suppose that's because you you can't wait for him to get his comeuppance which is why i'm hoping in part two that he does um <laughs> so yeah no i thought he was okay a, a good part of the story obviously there's a good sort of standoff between him and the doctor which is a nice scene isn't it because he thinks he's the big know-it-all and then somebody you know the doctor comes in and knows like 10 times more than him and he doesn't like it. So that's quite nice. Puts his nose right out of joint. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that, you know, it's good to have a character, I think, which um, thinks he's the, the big I am and gets put right in his place by the doctor in about two seconds. So that that's quite good. Yeah, that's a great scene, actually. Yeah, I like that scene. I was, I was kind of waiting for something like that because um, I felt that David Tennant was a little bit holding back a bit for some of this story. You see, he's still great right. in it. Mm-hmm. But I kept thinking he seems to be drifting a little bit letting the others you know take the limelight a bit which is all well and good Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a two-parter so maybe that's intention but i was waiting for him to sort of take the you know to come to the fore and and sort of give us some good 10th doctor banter which he does in that scene i was saying here we go here he goes and then he (laughs) does the thing with is it a tennis ball or an orange or something that he throws and goes in the back of um stores vent styles Uh vent yeah, tennis ball, I think, yeah. yeah. Tennis ball, yeah. So that's it does come. But yeah, I did think, you know, the, the tenant takes a bit of a backseat for the first half of the story, uh, I thought, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So that's good because it gives, you know, Donna and Martha time to, to take over and stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, because it, there's another companion who's back mm. and unit are back as well. There's yep. a lot going on. Mm. Uh, which I'm not... I'm not sold on unit in this story. No, nor am I. It doesn't feel like unit to me. It doesn't, no. does it? No, I don't know why. Yeah. If it's the silly red berries or I don't know what it is, but they don't feel like unit. Maybe it's because Kate Stewart isn't there. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Some I did think the same. Um, I thought it doesn't feel like unit, the guards and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's just their overall approach and their attitude. As they're very cocky aren't they yeah the unit yeah. soldiers are very sure of themselves and that's stuff. it yeah and even mm. the even the um not the commander what's his name colonel mace uh rupert holiday evans oh yeah yeah even he you know he's very because normally when when the doctor is around with unit he does have you know a certain sort of aura around him where they sort of know who he is Mm. you know, and know what he's capable of for the most part anyway. Um, and I think maybe they were going down the, because I think in, in a lot of the unit stories, it's fine to have somebody that can push back against the doctor because the brig did that a lot. Mm. You know, there were times where the brig was constantly at the end of his tether with the doctor and, you know, not happy with him. And then what was the story where, what was the special, I think it was planet of the dead with Michelle Ryan, Oof. you know, with unit in that story and whoever was the mm. head of unit, then this woman, I can't remember her name, you know, she was quite strong and pushy with the doctor. And that's one thing, but I yeah. found that Colonel Mace in this one, I don't know. He just seemed like very put out and, uh, you know, it was like, like a petulant child at some points, you know, where the doctors, mm. you know, 
you know, got the whole no salute thing going on. Yeah. And then when yeah. they walk a bit later on in the, in the episode, about 15, 20 minutes in him and the, uh, the doctor are walking out of this warehouse where they are. Oh, that, that's it. Yeah. The doctor said, you know, I want a Jeep. I need to go and find this, you know, this kid who's invented the thing. Mm. And the, the Colonel Mace is like, Oh, so you do have a spaceship then. So you're obviously concealing weapons. You know, and then the doctor's like, no, it's just, and and then he's like, I told you no salutes. And he's like, now you're giving orders. You know, he's he's like a little child that's been yeah. not getting his own way sort of thing. Mm. And I don't think it kind of fits with what the normal leader of unit should be like. You know, they should be a bit of a pushback there and, you know, a mm. bit of banter with the doctor and so on. But it, I don't know, it just feels like, and those cocky soldiers as well, you know, when they go down and, and, uh, they find the cloning tank. Yeah. And then um is it Stahl or Score comes through the come comes through the the door and they mm. start just mocking him, saying he's a child and humpty dumpty and all that stuff. Just their attitude and stuff, it just doesn't feel like unit. No, no, I, d- I did think the same thing actually. Yeah. They just feel a bit I almost felt like are they it didn't. I couldn't tell if they were good or bad guys. I kept thinking, are they bad guys that have infiltrated unit or what? Because they don't, like you said, they don't feel like unit. They almost feel like they're going to turn their guns on you at any minute. I don't know. Yeah. Something that wasn't right there. I have to say, I love some of the, the, the some of the tones in this are quite dark, for because it's it's one of those stories that jumps between sort of light-hearted stuff to quite dark stuff. So like the woman getting killed at the beginning going into the water i thought well, that's quite dark for the beginning of a story like some, some poor old reporter getting drowned and it's done pretty well isn't it, it the is. way the car just yeah. drives off the the um, bridge and stuff i thought okay because i think that's what drew me in i sort of put it on thinking right okay let's watch this then let's get this on and then that sort of that first few minutes of her getting trapped in the car and in the water so like, oh okay it's quite that's quite dark for seven o'clock television. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then there's a couple of other bits later, like the thing that's in the basement, the water creature clone thingy. Oh yeah, looks yeah. really good. Mm. Looks yeah. really good, and it's quite horrid, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's a good. Um, maybe that's why it feels like more like sort of classic Who, because there's a good scene where y- you sort of know it's going to jump up, and <laughs> I can't remember quite what's happening in it, but hopefully you know the bit I mean. But there's a good scary scene around that thing in the basement where you know something bad's going to happen and you're sort of waiting for it to jump. Oh, right, yeah, and I think yeah. it does. I can't quite remember that. But I thought, yeah, this is this yeah. is quite good, dark Doctor Who stuff, you know. And then you sort of get the more lighter stuff. which So that's, that's that worked quite well, I thought. Yeah. Sort of dark and light stuff together. It does. And it doesn't detract too much from my enjoyment of watching it either, this whole mm. unit thing. You know, it's a small sort of annoyance. Well, I am, yeah, I am really looking forward to seeing how this concludes because um, <laughs> I'm going along with it quite well at the minute. Yeah. I'm, I really hope the conclusion is a fitting conclusion. <laughs> yeah. I actually am very much looking forward to watching it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but I've got uh, I've got <laughs> worries. <laughs> worries. Yeah. That things like these little niggles that we're mentioning are going to sort of escalate in part two. I don't know. We'll see. What about our? companions then in this story because mm. like we said it is a a, a double companion because it's at the yeah. moment the well throughout david Tennant's era he doesn't really favor the big tardis team it's only the odd story where we have a lot of people i think the most the the most he's traveled what was the the stolen earth i think had 
Everybody. Everybody, pretty much. Even another one of himself. Oh, I hate that. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's for another time. Yeah. But I think generally, um, the most he's had really is what Mickey and Mickey Rose. and Rose and Captain Jack. Oh yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Normally mm. it's just sort of him and Martha, him and Rose, or him and Donna. So yeah. it's, it's interesting when you see another companion. Because it's he's really nervous at the beginning, isn't he? When he's like Martha Jones on a noble, and he just sort of takes a step back, and he's like, "Please don't fight." You know, he's not yeah. in the mood for. Um, yeah. So, what did you think to this being a sort of having Martha back and having another companion? Yeah, I like it. It's funny because it, when that scene happens, I was thinking, "Oh no, here we go. We're going to get the bickering." that we had sort of in school reunion, boring, but they don't, they do it for like two seconds and then start laughing and they get on really well. And I thought, Oh, that's good. So that's, that's better because you know, it would be so easy to write it that they don't get on and they bicker and it's, Oh, I'm the doctor companion. No, I used to be. So I'm, I'm glad they didn't go down that route. I'm glad that, you know, Donna and Martha sort of click and start Mm. working together immediately. It's a nice refreshing change. Um, and it's, it's good to see what Martha's doing now because I, I'm sure regular listeners to the show will know that I, I like Martha as a companion. So um, I, th- I really like the fact that she's back and we get to see what she's doing. And uh, and I think it suits the character. I can totally imagine her doing this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, funny because she was, you know, I think we talked about it recently. She was supposed to go into Torchwood at some point. I think that was the yeah, plan, but yeah. um, Freema decided she didn't want to do that series. But, you know, again, I can absolutely imagine Martha Jones doing that. So I think she works really well in it, uh, personally. I think where we were sort of saying that Unit sort of falls a bit flat, I think Martha sort of brings brings it back. Um, yeah. she, she's actually very good in it. And Donna's good in it. I, I absolutely love um, Wilf, as everybody knows. So <laughs> just seeing her going home, back to see her mum, who she's annoying, but in a good way. I like the character because I think she's quite realistic as a mum, the way she yeah. just starts moaning at Donna. And mm-hmm. again, very relatable Donna's family. So when Donna goes back home, I thought that was a lovely scene. Um I'm confused because, you know, with the timeline, Wilf, is this Wilf's first story? Because when he sees the Doctor, he says, oh, you were the guy who dropped down to Earth. And I'm thinking, so that was from the character, that was from that little scene in The Voyage of the Damned, isn't it? Where he drops down and Wilf's in the hut, but obviously wasn't Wilf then, but is now. I I was a little bit confused because I I assumed that Wilf had been in the series before, but clearly he was just in that little cameo, I'm assuming. Um and then this is, seems must be the first sort of proper story with him, maybe. I don't know. I've sort of lost track of, you know, the sort of timeline. But that that's what it appeared to me. Because when he sees the Doctor, he's like, it's you! As if they haven't, you know, got to know each other yet. So I just I just love Wilf. I think he's so believable. Bernard Cribbins is so fantastic as Wilf. Um, yeah. So I loved it when Donna went home to see them and sort of, you know, and, and it, again, it brings that realism home, doesn't it? That she's gone off and having all the fun and she suddenly realizes, actually, I never told my mm-hmm. mum, you know, I never told them where I was going. And Martha says it to her, doesn't she? She's like, did you tell them? So that's nice. That's, that's right, a yeah. really nice. And that's one of the, the sort of advantages of having this as a two parter as we get time to sort of, you know, yeah, have yeah. those scenes, if you like. So I really liked that. Yeah, because it's almost like it is relatable. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah, so it's Donna's normally when she was stuck at home, you know, she was 
fed up with being nagged all the time. But <laughs> when Martha reminds her, because Martha says, you know, being with a doctor, it's brilliant, but it's dangerous in a nutshell. Yeah. And then that clicks in her mind. She's like, actually, yeah, like you said, I didn't get to say goodbye or, or tell him how I felt. So when she goes back and her mum starts nagging, she's just got a little smile on her face, like everything's fine. You know, everything's good. Um, but in terms of Will's timeline, no, he was in um, he was in that story, wasn't he, with what's her face from Corrie? Uh, um, what, the... the uh, uh, yeah, partners the, in Crime. Partners in Crime. But maybe he doesn't get to meet the Doctor. I, I really can't say. remember, yeah. Yeah, because it's just the scene when he's at the allotment with that's Donna. it he looks up at the stars that's yeah. it yeah and i always think if you want to you know if, if people ever sort of criticize Catherine tate as a choice of companion saying oh she's comedic she doesn't she's not an actor you only need to watch scenes like this yes and yep. just see how natural she is in her performance and her and uh bernard cribbins and i'm not sure the lady's name who plays her mum you know they absolutely um spin off each other brilliantly you know they they are absolutely believable as a tight-knit family and i mm. i love that absolutely yeah. love it you know jacqueline king jacqueline king old yeah. sylv old, yeah. old sylvie uh, noble yeah yeah i mean i know she's annoying but she's meant to be isn't she she's, she's like the yeah. nagging mum of oh what are you doing now and then you know putting her down and yeah. you know it's stuff like that it's it's and you know wilf sort of stuck in the middle of it looking at donna you know i'm <laughs> on your side it, it's it's great stuff it, is. it really is very good stuff Mm. And what did you think? So, so Donna's really good. Um, Catherine Tate, she's really good in this. Yeah. As she I always think. is, pretty much. She is, yeah. yeah. Martha's pretty cool. What, what do you think of evil Martha? Yeah, I was going to say. So we have evil clone Martha, who's very, I think she's meant to play that quite understated. I don't think she's yeah. meant to have this sort of evil cackle rubbing her hands together. Like, yeah. you know, the evil plan is coming together. Yeah. Um, but she does have a bit of, she is a little bit sinister though. I quite like how she plays I it. I thought she played oh. it really well. Yeah, I was going to say, it's nice to, you know, A, bring her back and then to give her something different to do as well. Mm. Um, no, I thought she she played evil Martha quite well. Mm. I thought she was quite sinister. And I, I, you know, just like when she takes the call from the doctor and then the guy's like, anything to report? No, nothing. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. Yeah, that's cool. Harsh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought she was she was good. I can't remember what happens with the whole clone thing. Is there so is good Martha in the tank or is or is evil Martha just um like No. So um, uh, Good Martha is still wired up in the the chair, metal chair. Oh, thing. she's in the metal chair, of course she is, yeah. yeah. Because I think her memories and her thoughts are being transmitted to the clone so that the clone can use that to be an effective infiltrator that's right i remember now yeah yes. yeah that's yeah. it that's that reminds me of the cyber woman chair i don't know if it's the same thing a little bit. i thought that straight mm. away when i saw it yeah yeah yes yeah so evil clone martha she's pretty good yeah i thought so yeah and i prefer the evil clone unit guards as well because they're quiet <laughs> there's no cocky playground nonsense from them yeah um okay what about yeah, so and just Colonel Mace then, so the you know, who's heading up unit at this time. Um mm. I think yeah, nothing else to say on him really. I mean he's he's okay. He's he's, he's a bit of a wet lettuce, isn't he? Yeah, he's pretty good, but yeah, he he just mm. seems like a spoilt child sometimes. Mm. And personally for me, that's not how I would have 
shouldn't say things like this. It's not how I would have written him as a character, but mm. you know, my writing skills are minuscule compared to someone like Helen Rayner. But yeah, I just felt like he was, yeah, not quite on point for the head of unit. I get it. He's definitely not as strong as character as, as say, uh, Kate Stewart or someone like that. He does not mm. stick in the mind. Um, no, no. As much as maybe he should. Yeah, yeah. but he, he wasn't bad. But I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about Tennant then? Oh, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Uh, reliable as ever. Yeah. As I said, I did think he was holding back a little mm. in the first half of the episode, but but maybe understandably because he's you know as I said, it gives Donna and Martha time to shine and do their thing. So that's all good. Um, and, uh, yeah, nice scene with the spoiled brat, yeah. uh, where Tennant, Tennant sort of comes into his own again. Mm. Um, it's a great cliffhanger, isn't it? I think when Will's trapped in the car yes, and the doctor yeah. looks, you know, again, Tennant showing his acting range, just absolutely terrified and Brilliant. helpless. And I don't know what to do. And yeah, there's a, yeah, he's on, on point, I would say in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that there is a slight flaw in the whole being trapped in the car. Because obviously the Atmos system takes over the electrics and the functions of the car, so it mm. can lock the doors and everything. But I'm pretty sure that it doesn't replace any of the windows with like non-breakable. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I did you know, think that. I did think. Well, clearly they're going next week. They're going to smash the glass. I mean, yeah, that is true. You know, it's like if you're tra- if someone's trapped in the car and there's gas spewing out in- inside. Mm. you know and someone's clearly dying inside the car and you've tried everything you know surely within a you know a matter of seconds or a minute at the most the next thing you're going to do is pick up a heavy object and break the glass yeah i'm assuming that's what happens yeah well yeah maybe maybe it does but also also you're saying about the the um locking of the car doors um, they very conveniently don't lock when the doctor gets trapped in the car in the jeep, uh-huh. which is a little bit again because yeah. like, you know they just get out of it and it goes in the water. Mm. You know when he tells the thing to do exactly the opposite of what it's supposed to. Yes, and yeah. then they jump out just where it goes in the water. I was thinking, hang on, I thought the doors were meant to lock. Uh-huh. So that's a, a bit convenient, isn't it? As a well, bit, so, a little bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. But uh, yes, it's uh, I, I can imagine that's how the cliffhanger is going to go. But I, I thought it was a good build up. It still left me wanting to put on the next one yeah yeah it was a decent cliffhanger actually i think Not it's because it's wilf as well and i, I love yeah. wilf so much the thought of him <laughs> trapped in a car is like no yeah yeah <laughs> and his reaction to the doctor is really cool as well because lovely yeah yeah because them two have they do get on very well over the over um donna's era mm. that's a way to say it, the the noble companion era yeah you know especially the scene that we see later on like with him and wilf in the cafe and the you know the closing moments of um the end of time you know they do get oh, on yeah, very yeah. well they're a very good relationship and it all kicks off from this point really so when wilf's like oh it's you at, at first i thought is wilf gonna do his nut is he gonna have a go mm-hmm. at him for taking donna off and potentially you know putting her in a dangerous situation but it's all a bit sort of light-hearted really yeah he's like well she takes care of me he's like yeah it's my donna and and then that's it from that moment on they're sort of good friends really and I think he's one of my favourite yeah. characters in Doctor Who. Yeah. I adore Wilf. Bernard Cribbins is so good. Yeah. Such a good actor. Yeah. But overall, yeah, I thought David Tennant was, um, I think, like I said, I don't want to give too much away, but I feel like in part two, he sort of ratches it up a little bit. I'm waiting know. for it. I kept thinking that. 
I, you know, when I said he was holding back a bit, I kept thinking, when's he going to take over and bring it all good? And I suppose naturally that comes in part two, but yeah. I did. I am waiting for that moment, yeah. He's still solid, though, in this one. He's still mm. good. And that scene that we mentioned with him and, and Luke, it, it's a really cool sort of dual purpose, that speech, because mm. he's he's doing it in a way to make him feel he's bringing him down to earth, like a giving him a reality check, isn't he? Yeah. It's saying like, you know, you might be able to, you know, put on this spoiled brat thing with everybody else. And you, you know, nobody else will say no to you, but I'm, you know, I'm going to give you a bit of a reality slap across the chops. <laughs> and then the other thing is that you can see a bit of him. You can see a little bit of the doctor in him because he has these little moments where everything else stops and he, you just hang on his words where he's like, you know, it's not easy being clever, is it? You know, the, mm. everyone else is slow. You can kind of see that that's how the doctor feels sometimes, you know, yeah. being the cleverest yeah. person in the room or or whatever. So it's a really cool, well-written scene, that. Mm. And it's nice, yeah. the nice um, pairing of, you know, the 10th Doctor and the Sontarans, isn't it? Because, you know, even though we've, the misgivings we have about some of the stuff with the Santarans, it's uh, they do work really well with Tennant's Doctor. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the, the scene between him and Starl is really good. It will be a very brief, but you know, you can sort of see. I'm assuming again that we get more of that, but you can see that they're going to have a bit of a a face off <laughs> at yes. some point. Those two, yeah, yeah, that's good. Mm. Um, yeah, so not much else to say, sort of character-wise. Um, in terms of story, I think yeah, it's a it's a fairly decent Centauran story. It's not the best we've seen, but it's fairly decent. Um, mm. The episode looks fairly good. Plenty of location shots and. Um, yeah, there were no dodgy special effects that I noticed. Not really? I no. It stood up pretty well in terms of production, I think. Yeah, I really yeah. like the design of the big portal that's inside Luke's office. You know, yeah, the, yeah. That looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't um, mind getting one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so otherwise, yeah, it looks pretty well. Editing was not too bad. It moves along at a reasonable pace. Murray's yeah. music, pretty standard. Yeah, nothing that jumped out at me. It was fairly no. standard. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to mention before we give it a, a number? Uh, no, I reckon we've covered it, mate. I think Good. I've done all my notes, yeah. Right. I can't even remember whose turn it is to go first. I think it's you, because I think right. I struggled last time, yeah. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Rightio, I'm going to give this then. Um, I'm going to give this a six point five. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, um, that's what I thought I'd be giving it. I actually was quite surprised by it, so I'm giving it slightly higher, seven point five. Okay. Actually, really, really yep. enjoyed watching this again. Yeah. So seven point five for me. Okay. Yeah, I, and I think, and again, it's very difficult to not jump ahead, but I, I'm guessing that. For the Poison Sky, the score might be a little bit higher. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say lower. Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. But Mm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. 7.5 for you. Yeah. What did our beautiful listeners think? Uh, We did the usual poll over on Twitter and a whopping 94% of you said likey. Really? That's good. Yes. And only 6% said stinky. I'm surprised because it is one it's a one I don't think to watch and it's B one I never hear people talk about mm. so it's surprising isn't it so many people liked it yeah we well few... we'll see we'll get the comments but yeah <laughs> yeah we did have a few comments on Twitter as well um the Whovian reviews says one of my favorite stories ever from new who really oh yep um uh, C Perry 90 said super likey 
Super like it. Yeah. Uh, the TARDIS Files HQ said, one of my favourites from season four slash series wow. four. Puts a little winky face, you cheeky, cheeky. <laughs> uh, Love the dialogue between Martha and Donna as well. Owen oh, Unit, a great 8.5. Right, okay. Daniel Fox, my very first Doctor Who episode, and it's a cracker. Uh, wow. The TARDIS trio are fantastic in this one, and the Santarans are at their best. 9.10 Santaha. <laughs> okay. Um, Roxanne J10 says, love it with exclamation marks and heart emojis. Wow. Yes. Um, yeah. Some real love on Twitter. Let's go over to Facebook. And Kevin Munnan says, although it's not a great script, um, uh, it's enjoyable enough. And at last, this series finally gives us a version of the 10th Doctor that I enjoy. Really? His pairing What's... with the quite wonderful Donna Noble redeemed after his first two series. There is plenty to enjoy with this episode, although it isn't quite a classic. I'm going to give it 6.465656446312222 out of 10. Right. Very precise. That's very precise, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Chris Parry says, one of my favourite two-parters from the Tenant era. Blimey. A great intro to the Centaurans and unit with a good balance between alien threat and humour. Also nice to see Martha get to do more than not be pining after the Doctor. Yeah. Uh, they just don't make Centauran stories like this anymore. Seven out of ten. Miles mm. McKenzie, call me crazy, but this is one of my favourite stories from series four. Crazy. Centaurans were brought Crazy. back in such a great way, and it's a shame they've not had a threat like this since the Sarah Jane adventures. Ah. Uh, David, David, Catherine, and Freema had good chemistry and very welcome return of units. I don't know how many times I've rewatched this one. Nine out of ten. Blimey. Sammy from Down Under says, Santa Ha. <laughs> Santa Ha, Sammy. Uh, Santa Ha. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> Mate. Donna, Martha and Unit, an army of Centaurans. What is not to love? I can't remember which part it is, but I love it when the Doctor puts the gas mask on and Colonel Mace asks him if he thinks the Doctor replies, are you my mummy? Must be next week. Must be next week, Sammy. <laughs> I also like the bit where Donna finds the sick leave file with no sick days in it. That's a good bit, actually. That is, that is a good bit, yes. Martha doing her thing. Uh, Sammy gives it 10 super temps out of 10. 10. Tenant out of tenant. Wow. Jeff Waddle mm. says, there's a good idea for a story in here somewhere, but goodness knows where it went. <laughs> oh, dear. The tennis ball to the probic vent and the dispersing of gas, it would just spread it further, surely. It's all too Scooby-Doo for me. Uh, oh. I don't even like the portrayal of the Centaurans as bumbling fools. The, oh. the double storyline goes nowhere, and the spoilt millionaire kid is too obnoxious. Good scenes, but it's just a mess. Three out of ten. Oh, dear, Jeff. Jeff, not liking it. <laughs> Lewis Palmer says it's enjoyable enough, but it's uh, also one of those stories that's almost a nothing story for me. There's nothing I can rave about, and there's nothing I can hate. It's very middle of the road. Mm. Do like the unit aspects, and it's very Santar, Santar and E as well. Wilf is always nice to see. Six out of ten. Uh, Aaron Ball says a great episode. Santarans are great in this and the episode, uh, and they are threatening. And I love unit uh, as this is as just like Pertwee's run, but with ten, and he is fighting monsters on Earth. Ten is great, and Donna and Martha are awesome. Plus, Martha has a lot to do 
plus a cliffhanger is pretty good. Eight out of ten. Oh, cool. Do you know what? I think that's what maybe links this and feels like classic Who that we mentioned earlier. Mm. You know, Pertwee's era when he was sort of banished to Earth and wasn't allowed to. It was just him and Unit doing their thing. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Joseph Howarth says, what did I think of the first part of the story? Uh, it's okay. Bit of a mixed bag. There are some things I like, uh, some things that I wish were a lot better. This is a really long review, so I'm going to chop it down a bit. He goes on to say that um, uh, the scenes with Donna and Wilf were very well acted, and this is a reason why their dynamic is fantastic. Um, there's nothing really grabbing me about uh, this one in general. It's average at best. And if the Centaurans do come back in Chibnall's run, uh, please give them a story where they are competent. I'm begging you, Chris. Mm. Uh, a six out of ten. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lewis Blackmore says, coming from the best series of the modern era, in my opinion, this half of the two-part doesn't disappoint. Bringing back classic villain, uh, villains. <laughs> Bringing back classic villains, the Centaurans with a fantastic new redesign as well as the unit themselves. This story is always one I look back with fondness. 8.5. Mm, okay. Rob Irwin says, I enjoy more of this one than I dislike. Uh, yes, the tiny Centaurans are ridiculous, given what they used to be, but the plot is fun. It's great to see Martha again, and Unit seems really sinister, which is a nice twist. Mm. Um, falls onto the good side of the fence for me, but not without a few issues. Jason Thayer says, I like this story, except for the bratty college kid. Eight out of ten. Charlie Turner, not a standout favourite in Series 4 now that I look back on it, but it was my first ever Centauran story. Uh, I like it, but it's not amazing. Eight out of ten. And lastly, Martin Arnold says, I love this story. I love this story, ha. Huh? I love this story, ha. Huh? <laughs> uh, and that scene is one of the reasons why a great reinvention of the Centaurans with a really good supporting cast. The Doc and Unit clashing again, Evil Martha, and of course, the legend that is Wilf. Yeah. Uh, the arrogant human who can't see past his own ego is a classic trope. Uh, this story... Uh, would have fit right into the Pertwee years. Uh, I love this, ha. Huh? Nine Sontars out of ten. Cool. So plenty of Sontar ha's going on there. Do you know what? A lot of love for this one. I am very, I'm very surprised, a bit like the episode itself. I'm surprised how much I enjoyed it as well. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's one that perhaps gets a bit forgotten. Maybe it's because um, Series 4 is, 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 in my opinion, very strong. Perhaps other episodes kind of you know, overshadow it maybe. I don't know. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's good. I'm glad there was lots of love for this one. Pleasantly surprised. That's, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Indeed. Yeah. Um, we didn't have anything to fill on the Geek's Handbag. Um, no, no, week. I didn't put a post up, no, due to or complications with the show. But no, I didn't put one this week. But, but I thought we got plenty in the podcast. So yeah, yes. no complications. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Next week. Now, we're going to change things up a little bit, aren't we? Because oh, we're, yes. we're a week behind... Uh, so we were going to do a classic story, but that's going to take us into a bit of a disruption for something cool that we've got planned for April onwards. Yeah. So we're going to bring the two-parter to a conclusion next week, aren't we? So next week, dude. Next week. Yeah. So next week we'll conclude this two-parter with the Poison Sky. Yes. And then uh, and then we're into April when everything changes. I've been dying to say that. <laughs> but that's all I'm going to say. So, yeah, so next week, conclusion to this one with the Poison Sky, and then we're into April. April, yes. And, uh, yeah, and it's going to be exciting stuff coming your way yes. next month. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. So get your Blu-rays or your DVDs out for The Poison Sky. We'll just run straight into that and conclude the story. Mm. And I think we're going to do there for 180. 180. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking with us for episode 180. It's been great to be back behind the mic with my good old pal, <laughs> Mr. Geeks. I'm so looking forward to watching the second part of this as well. I didn't think I'd be saying that. No? No, I just didn't, wasn't bothered about this two-parter at all, but I'm actually uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah. That's good. See if uh, let's see if I'm as excited next week after I've watched it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to say we'll 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 reconvene next week and see if yeah. you're still as enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so one eight one next week. The Poison Sky. Look forward to re- reviews and mini thoughts and all that stuff on that. In the meantime, why don't you truck on over to the website mm-hmm. www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. All of our episodes on there, right back to episode one. Good Lord. Of March 2014. Mm. But they're all on there. You can listen to them. You can also link off to all of the social networks and start following us and liking and all that jazz. Because we do chat a lot of who in between. We do. In between episodes. And there's also all the links on there to go off to the podcast networks. The biggest one, uh, of course, being iTunes. So you can give us a sub on there so you never miss an episode. And if you are an iTunes uh, user or subscriber if you could spare a minute for a review that would be amazing because that gives us a, a little nudge and a boost which is always nice uh, thank you so much for the recent reviews on there as well lovely words really cool awesome thank you remember to go and check out Adam's channel The Geek's Handbag yes indeed <laughs> handbag full of geeks uh, yeah I've got my <laughs> smile video coming up soon I've been working so hard on this video <laughs> like like putting little music bits on and um, I'm really chuffed with it I've just got to cool, cool. sort out the audio level so yeah go and have a look at that should be out really soon actually yeah so head over to YouTube that's where Adam that's where I am spends his time loads of cool videos there and he's also on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff Instagram so go and give him a follow we will be back next week for episode 181 and the poison sky and whatever else is going on in who at the time so until then my name's Gary my name's Adam and remember Hey. Uh... Uh...